today is a real special treat for me. Uh, we're going to do an exit interview with Jim Sodders. Uh, Jim uh, technically retired from the company 11 years ago, um, but has uh, continued to work part-time uh, as his summer schedule uh, permits to help us grow people and impact projects. So he's uh, continues to be around and boy, we're grateful for that. When I started with the company, Jim was one of the more senior superintendents uh, uh, taking on uh, some of the bigger, more complex projects. And he just has such a way of uh, impacting people and uh, growing people up and growing careers. That's really what I think of Jim for and what I observed him doing for many, many years. Uh, Jim uh, is a straight shooter that has an easy way about him. And that's uh, an interesting combination. So I'm sure you will enjoy this as much as I have enjoyed uh, my time with Jim. So here you go, Jim Sodders. Uh, well, welcome, Jim, to uh, this version of Exit Interview. So as you know, uh, the, the genesis of this podcast was really uh, set up to uh, pass along stories, pass along lore, pass along history uh, from the company uh, to the current and future generations and really to the industry. And knowing you uh, for as long as I have, you have a lot of lore. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Where, where did you grow up and, and how did you grow up? I grew up in Vernalda, Iowa. It's a little town just uh, west and north of Ames uh, from a very, very poor family. My dad was a, a rafter builder, uh, laminated rafters. My dad and my grandpa were a two-man show for a guy that supplied those all over the United States. And uh, I actually did work with them in summers. Uh, my dad gave me the, the work ethic that I have. Uh, I remember the first day I worked with him at quitting time, dad and grandpa picked up their tools and I picked up mine and my dad said, no, you haven't given eight hours work today. You're going <laughs> to stay a while. <laughs> so, uh, I stayed a couple hours later and being a young kid running around at that time, you know, you like to stay out late. I didn't do that much anymore while I was working, so sure. uh, instilled a, a good work ethic in me, and I'm very grateful to that for that. So, do you have any siblings? I had uh, seven brothers and two sisters. Oh boy, where were you in the pecking order? <laughs> I was third from the bottom. Was that a situation then where the older kids helped to raise some of the younger kids? Oh yeah, yeah. They're uh, especially the girls, uh, the two oldest boys. They I don't remember them a whole lot because they went off to service. And then my oldest brother, he got into construction. He was a concrete finisher. He worked some for, as a union finisher, he he worked a little bit for a story at, at some times over the years. My other brother, just just older than me, was warehouse manager for story at... Huh. Oh, just before Wally Loney had it, he was there for two or three years. He worked under Kenny Baker, who was the original warehouse person uh, when I first started back in 1961. Oh, be darn. 
So are your siblings uh, uh, still, uh, do you have any living siblings still? I have uh, a, a sister and one brother uh, that's still living. The rest of them are gone. Yeah. So you, uh, you started to talk about a transition to stories. So you were in school, you got done with maybe high school, or what did the transition from uh, school to work look like for you? Okay, so I graduated in, in 1960, and I applied for a job with Story with Ted Hagen at that time. Uh, my father-in-law, who, the girl Nancy Balls, father was a crane operator for the company, and after we got married, well, he said, you should go to work for Story. And so I interviewed with Ted Hagen, and I got the job. Uh, went to work with Dick Johnson at the classroom building for, well, I thought it was, it was going to be for a training period, but in I was out there with him two weeks, and they moved him into the office. They would fired the, the bookkeeper, hmm. and... Dick was brought in to take that over. So classroom building at Iowa State. Classroom building at Iowa State. And when Ted hired you, what did he hire you to do? I was a timekeeper. And what be. is that? Well, uh, we used to we used to cost code everybody's time for what they were doing uh, as close as we possibly could. And we'd mark that down. And at the end of the month, we'd fill, or at the end of the week, we would fill out a weekly paper and then at the end of the month we'd fill out a monthly paper and that allowed uh, the estimators to know how much it cost to do each item. Uh, at some periods I would be timekeeper on seven or eight jobs at one time that were all in the university area. Okay, so you, uh, what work did we self-perform and how many cost codes do you imagine there were? Well, we self-performed almost everything except for electrical and plumbing. There were probably maybe a thousand cost codes, I suppose. Okay. At one time, I did a, a write-up on each cost code for Norm Reese uh, that he'd asked me to do a draft, and then he finished it up, and he and I went out to Iowa State and did a seminar out hmm. at Iowa State at one point. Oh, darn so you, uh, you would, uh, how often, so if you were on that classroom building, for example, how many times a day would you observe work and record it on that job? I would try to get there, get around the job site every hour. Uh, the ironic thing about it was that you would learn after a certain period of time you could almost sit at your desk after you went out the first time and fill out the sheets because your mind would automatically tell you how much time it would take for people to do a certain item. Uh, so it got uh, what I consider to be fairly easy at a, at a point, which probably led me into becoming a superintendent. Yes. <laughs> okay, so, so that was a little backtrack for my benefit, and really yeah. for everybody's benefit on... There used to be a timekeeper position, and that's how we used to do it, and so on and so forth. So back to your story. 
you started on that job as a timekeeper and in a timekeeper role. Uh, what happened next or what, what was your transition then through uh, the company? Uh, I stayed on that job to help finish that up. Cliff Rogers, I believe, was the superintendent on that job. Uh, they then then sent me to the, the post office with a guy by the name of Woody Buck, who was known all over the, well, probably all over the world. He was <laughs> such a sharp individual for story. Uh, very, very smart. One of, the, one of the owners back at that time. Sure. And... Uh, uh, Ames Post Office uh, or Ames somewhere Post else? Ames Post Office. Okay. Yeah, went, that's where I, that was my second job. I and were you a timekeeper on that job? I was a timekeeper on that job. Okay. And I was a timekeeper probably for maybe four years, I suppose. I decided I, w- I would like to move up. Uh, so I, I became a carpenter apprentice and uh, took that, uh, that apprenticeship school, learned that, and then eventually moved up to a foreman and, as, and a superintendent. And to a project manager, which I didn't like, so I asked to be put back to a superintendent. Sure. <laughs> uh, I thought I could make the company more money as a superintendent than I could as a project manager. Yeah, whether you could or couldn't, you could certainly have a lot more influence as a superintendent. Yeah. And, and, and you did both. So uh, who were some of the people then that you worked with that maybe invested in you to help you hone your skills, sharpen your skills, and get to where you got? Uh, Cliff Rogers was was one of the major ones. Jim McVicker. Dick Johnson certainly was a big, big part of of my uh, learning experience. So he wasn't a superintendent before, so how did he impact your learning? Well... Dick had an extraordinary mind, I think, uh, and and the knack that people just loved him right off the bat. You know, you talk to him for five minutes and he's your best friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but very, very smart. He knew how to handle people. He uh, got in really good with Ted Hagen at one point, who was running the company at that time. And uh, so I always thought Ted liked me real well just because of Dick. <laughs> sure. Uh, and from outside the company, there was a, a guy by the name of Don Schof who was an inspector for the for the university. He kind of took me under his wing when I first got out on the, at the university and helped me out a lot on what to do and what not to do. And a lot of, a lot of different people. Sure, sure. Hank Boylan was one of the old superintendents. Charlie Bell, of course. Charlie was was a, a big influence in, in the industry. So you mentioned uh, um, you've been uh, you started in the company in '61. Yeah, July nineteenth, nineteen sixty-one. So you know uh, you know some of our history and some of our historical figures. So you said Woody Buck was brilliant. You probably knew James Thompson. Um, so talk to us a little bit about some of those, uh, some of those, uh, I'll say, founders of the company. Okay, well, I had, a, I had kind of a unique experience with James Thompson. Uh, after I'd got started for a little while, well, James would ask Dick Johnson if 
I could help him deliver the checks on Friday. So that became one of my duties is to take Jim Thompson around all the job sites. Jim Thompson had an old green Cadillac back at that time. And what year Cadillac? Oh, uh, it was probably a 1961, 60 or 61. Okay. Uh, new Cadillac. Yep. And, uh, so Jim had this little pet name for me. He'd call me the dumb farmer when I'd take him around. <laughs> I don't know where he got that because I wasn't ever a farmer. <laughs> but uh, some of the stories that, that happened with Jim, uh, I remember one time I came in and he said, let's go, dumb farmer. And so we walked out of the office and he says, you drive, which I always did. I always drove. So I walked around on the other side of the car and the whole side of it was bashed in. So I didn't say anything because I'd learned how to do <laughs> it. Uh, so we drove out and he drove me past these cars that he'd sideswiped. And he says, uh, they're not very bad, are they? Uh, uh, so I stopped and left Dick Johnson's name on the, on the window to call Dick Johnson on a couple of the windows. Sure. And Dick kind of took care of that. Uh, I think he went and probably paid for it. The company probably paid for the damage on the cars, sure. I, would, I would guess so. Uh, so the next week, Kenny Thompson decided that they were going to take Jim's car away from him. He wasn't going to get it anymore. So they sent Kenny Baker, who was the warehouse manager at that time, up to get it. And Kenny said, I was driving down the street and cars would stop three blocks away to let me go around the corner because <laughs> they recognized the car. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a good relationship with, with Jim and Kenny. Kenny was, was very much for the employees of Story. Uh, one story that I could tell that he did was I bought a car... Uh, from, uh, oh, I can't remember which dealer it was, but Story had bought most of their cars there. And so I, when I drove it home that night, I stopped to fill it up with gas, and the battery exploded and caught the car on fire. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so so I take, I call them up, and so they said, well, you bought it as is. You know, that's, that's the way it is. Oh, boy. And Kenny Thompson says, well, what's the matter? And I, the next day, would, he said, I hear your car blew up. Yeah. I said, so I told him what had happened. And he said, well, let me take care of that. So I got a call from the owner of the car company. said, come on down and pick out a car because <laughs> we're going to pay you for that one. <laughs> wow. So he, he didn't have to do that. So that was very, very important. Sure. Uh, so at the time... Uh, uh, when you started, how much longer was James Thompson around, and then how much longer was Kenny Thompson around? Uh, I think James was around maybe two years. Kenny, I can't remember exactly, maybe five years okay. that, that Kenny was around. Uh, so then how about, uh, how about Woody Buck? So you said he was brilliant. So what, what about him was brilliant? Well, he... Uh, 
he had the construction mind that he could just figure out anything. I mean, he uh, he designed the the flying towers out of the of the men's towers out at Iowa State. To, the plastic forms that we could move up, just hook onto them and move them up and save thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, always knew exactly what to do and uh, just could figure out anything. He was. What was his personality like? Was he easygoing? Uh, was he yeah, intense? He was, was he? He was all business normally. Uh, a few of the guys figured out that if you talk to him about duck hunting, well, you could get him pretty relaxed. <laughs> but <laughs> other than that, uh, you better be you better be thinking about work while you're at work. Sure. Okay. Uh, how about uh, how about any other sort of uh, I'll say uh, previous generation figures, uh, Ted Hagen or you know, or anybody else that. Many of our listeners might not even know, uh, just have heard about, but wouldn't have known. Yeah, Ted was Ted was actually I considered to be the one that made the company go. Had a very 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 strong business mind. He kind of took Dick Johnson and me under his wing. I I think probably really good for the company. He and and he knew everybody. I mean, he's he just knew everybody in the country. At an uncanny, uncanny time of at bedtime of saying we need, yeah, this is who's bidding against us, so we need to add a thousand dollars or we need to take a thousand dollars off. Sure, uh, and could do that in a matter of seconds, and pretty well always right. Yeah. So you were you were around at the time of. Uh, companies morphing from James Thompson and Sons to Story to uh, a, a few other concerns in there. So, what did that look like from your perspective? You know, just walk us through that. Well, it, I, I remember back at the time, it seemed like it was a little scary, but it was it it went from from James Thompson and Sons to AJ Allen or not AJ Allen, but Bill Allen. Bill Allen. Uh, they uh, formed a company that they called Allen Construction, and yeah, I'm not exactly sure how it was ran. I think every that James Thompson and Sons rented Allen everything, and and through the books it was Allen Construction, and then that went on for a few years, and then they Bill Allen they bought Bill Allen out, and they changed it to Story Construction. So was that a, a while it was scary? Was it a turbulent time for the company, or was it was it not? Didn't it? Don't you remember it as being very turbulent? I don't remember it being very turbulent. It seemed like the transition was pretty smooth. Okay, uh, they had figured out exactly how they wanted to do it and seemed to seemed to handle that really well. Great. Uh, so while we're on the topic of people, so uh, you grew up here. Uh, you grew up here with a lot of people. So who did you grow up here with? Who are some of those peers and colleagues that uh, you'd rub shoulders with? And I know you're a prankster, and I know you said Dick was a prankster. So who is part of your posse? Well, Donnie Paris. Uh, Donnie and I became, I, I can't remember what year Donnie started, but we became pretty pretty close buddies. Probably Dick and Donnie and, and 
there was a couple of bricklayers that were kind of pranksters, but Dick could usually, Dick was probably the best. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, he could, he could think of some things that uh, you probably couldn't do as a president. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, in the era of social media and anything else, I'm not sure I could think that big, let alone uh, execute and pull something off like that. He tried to, he tried to get away from that. But he, I think he always had that in him, that little honoriness. Yeah, so I never really saw much of that honoriness in the uh, in the time that I had with him. But, yeah, the stories are pretty legendary. Oh, yeah. And we'll just leave those stories yeah, we'll just lay leave right those there. there. <laughs> That's right. So uh, uh, at some point, uh, we transitioned from family-owned to employee-owned, and you were a stockholder. So, do you remember what it was like uh, when you were offered stock, and what that what that was like for you? Yeah, nineteen nineteen eighty one. Uh, Ted called me in and said, "We w- we would like to sell you some stock. We we think you deserve to be a stockholder." And and I said, "Oh, there's no way I can afford stock. I just can't do it." And he says, "Well, can you come up with a hundred bucks?" I said, "Okay, yeah, I can do that." So. My first purchase was a hundred bucks worth of stock. Okay, I always thought it was ironic, ironic because we had a stockholders meeting shortly after that, and the meal that they served was lobster. And between my wife and I, we probably spent more than hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then oh, just every t- every so often, why I would I would purchase some more stock. I got to the point where as I got older, I thought. Well, you know, let somebody else have a chance to buy the stock. So I quit buying it. Just uh, not, it would it, kind of stupid of me not to buy it because I should have just kept buying it all the way through because it's such a perfect deal for sure. for stockholders. But I kind of decided that well, let some of the younger guys get, get in on it because it's a good deal. So I I kind of quit. But uh, it was very lucrative at the end when I retired. And um, we were probably remiss in not uh, talking about that. So when did you retire? Uh, <laughs> let's see, I'm uh, 77 now, and I retired when I was 66, so 11 years ago. And uh, so you retired, and uh, so well, before we leave the stock ownership piece, so that ended up being a pretty good deal. So when you retired, you um, we have a provision where you need to sell your stock, and you did, and that worked out all right for you? Right. Yep, very good. And so you retired, uh, and I remember your retirement party. We sent you away with some golf clubs. It was over yep. at Cornerstone Church in the uh, auditorium space that you built, and uh so how how was your golf game and how is your golf game? Uh, not much better, <laughs> but uh, I do play a lot in the winter when when I'm down in Arizona. Uh, so it's probably a little bit better, but it, it, it's never going to be real good. But I enjoy it, so that's what's sure. important. Well, and and so you. You uh, got your honey-do list cleaned up. You played some golf, and you ultimately concluded that uh, while that's great, there's you probably have some more uh, some more game left in you to impact people, impact the company, and impact the industry. So you've been back every year for differing periods of time to help us with projects. Yes, yes, and and I'm thankful for that because that's. Uh 
Uh, it gives you purpose, I think. Uh, retirement, at least for me, is not a, not all it's cracked up to be. I I enjoy working. I enjoy constructing people. Uh, love story construction. Always will. Uh, could would always do everything I could for them. And you've done a lot of teaching in that time. I mean, you're able to drop a lot of knowledge, not only in the how-tos, but the uh, the interactions that you have with people. So you're continuing to impact careers and impact the industry. I try to, yeah. So uh, when you uh, when you were really rocking and rolling and leading projects, what are some of them that you remember that are that are memorable to you that you participated in? Well, the wellness center at, at Cedar Falls, uh, Gallagher Blue Dorn at Cedar Falls, Kinnick Stadium. Did a lot of sewer treatment plants but back in, in the day, uh, the Ames Sewer Treatment Plant, and, and worked on a lot of other ones with, with guys. Uh, they're probably my favorite ones. Uh, uh, the church out Cornerstone Church was a very, very nice project to do. And worked under some other superintendents on some really nice jobs. It's uh, that's that was one important thing about story. You could be a superintendent on one job, and you might be working for somebody on the next job, but still very important to the company. So yeah, yeah, that is I think an interesting thing about our culture and about how we work. Um, depending on the size of the job and the demands of the job, we'll mix and match superintendents with one another to um, let them see how somebody else might think about things and uh, allow them to focus on either leading or leading a crew. And uh, I think that's a pretty good development approach. Yeah, I think one of Story's strong points is that they match the superintendent up to the job whenever possible. Might mean that I drive to Waterloo and somebody from Waterloo drives to Ames, but they've deemed, I think, over the years that some of that is worth it and make it happen. And I think I think that's very important. So I've been around you enough on projects uh, to see how you work. And you're you're technically really good, but you're relationally exceptional. You can relate to contractors, relate to designers, relate to owners. Uh, and make things happen that um, that I haven't seen a lot of other people do, and, and it's all for good. It's all for the betterment of the project or the betterment of the of the people involved. So, where did that come from, and and how how do you do that? Well, I I I think it's the most important thing is you don't lie to people. You tell them the truth. Sometimes it's how you tell them the truth that gives you some strength. Yeah, there's a there's a big difference in how people run jobs and the relationships they have with jobs and owners. And I just seem to have the have always been uh, had a good relationship with whatever owner I was working with, uh, the crews that I had, uh, subcontractors. I could use Donnie Paris and I as a comparison. Donnie is excellent at what he does, makes a lot of money on the jobs that he did. But he does it completely different than I do. Sure. I mean, we're just as different as could be. I guess that's why we liked each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Dick Johnson said, you, you used to tell me, you know exactly what to say at the time it needs to be said. And I, 
And he said, how do you do that? I said, I don't know. I just do it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> how about uh, some subcontractors or designers that you worked with or, uh, yeah, either architects or engineers that you worked with in your time who are some of the memorable ones or ones that, man, I always look forward to working with so-and-so? You know, the architects, I can't, I can't hardly remember any of their names anymore. Uh, subcontractors, Heartland Finishes comes to mind as top-notch. Foreman Ford used to be top-notch. I don't know if, how they are now. Uh, you know, companies change, but GC Woodworking was excellent for for Story. Not only me, but all, all of Story. They always did a good job. Yeah, there's probably lots of them that I don't sure. remember. Sure. Well, it, you, it's been a while since, yeah. since, I mean, you're still touching projects, but you're really touching people on projects more than into a lot of the the nitty gritty. So um, we didn't skip past, but I, I do want to come back to sort of your family. So you've got uh, you've got kids. So what? Um, who are they, and what are they doing these days? Okay, well, I have five boys by my first marriage, and my oldest boy is the manager of a trucking firm in Wichita, Kansas. My next boy, Bob, he worked for Story. He now works for Ball Team, or owns part of Ball Team, I guess now. My next son works for uh, Business Solutions out of Des Moines. And then I have a, uh, my next son was a state senator, and he's mayor of, of state center now and kind of retired from the police force. He was out from the sheriff's department. And then I have a, my youngest boy is a counselor at uh, the reform school up at Eldora. And then with, with my second wife, I have, we have two daughters and, and a son. Uh, the son works for uh, this transmission place out here. What's it? Sunstrand. Oh, uh, Dan Foss now? Dan Foss, yeah. Yep. He works for Dan Foss. My other daughter is a foreman for Mortensen Construction out in Denver, Colorado. And uh, the last one is just housewife. Excellent. So there's good variety there. Good so variety, yeah. I'm sure you see them with some frequency, so oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, none of that's boring. Nope, nope. I know Bob and I are pretty good buddies, so I keep tabs on him, and uh, I know some of your other some of your other boys, too. Yeah. So you raised them well. I can uh, I can attest to that. Um, so what, um, what pearls of wisdom would you have for, uh, people that have an interest in construction that have an interest in, in what we do? Uh, if you could, um, rewind the hands of time and had somebody drop some knowledge on you, what, uh, what would uh, you wish you would have heard? Well, I, I, I think that this key to being a good superintendent would be to surround yourself with good people, number one. Uh, that's probably the most important thing. Be dedicated. By dedication, everybody works different hours. I personally always tried to get to work an hour before start time. Uh, it seems like that's when a superintendent can get most of his work done, in, in my opinion. Sure. Uh, work hard. Tell the truth, you know. No matter no matter how much it hurts, if you tell the truth, 
everybody can live with the truth. They just can't live with lies. Sure. And uh, you have to you have to work some extra hours if you want to move ahead. There's there's no uh, no shortcut around that. If if you know if you're going to work stick to 40 hours and make sure that it's just 40 hours, you're probably not going to go any further than what you are now. Sure, sure. All right. Well, um, this is kind of the open mic part of the program. So is there um, anything else to share related to your career, related to story, transitions you've seen, th things that you've seen, any, anything else that we haven't covered that you think uh, folks would benefit from hearing? Well, I think... I think story was was excellent to start with. I think it's it transitioned over when Dick, Norm, and Dean Porth and and everybody left, and we went into new ownership. I uh, I can't lie. I could I could tell you right off the bat. I was very uh, apprehensive about that one, but I think it all went seamlessly. I think you guys have done a good job. I might mention that one of my proudest things for story construction that I think that I've done was hire Brian Hessick. Mm -hmm. Well, Mike Welter took credit for that too. Yeah. So he was there. Okay, <laughs> he was in the room. <laughs> now, Mike and I actually did did hire uh, Brian together. We interviewed two guys at the same time, and uh, as soon as we walked out, we both said, "Brian's the guy." <laughs> Yeah, well, you uh, you were always a big supporter, at least through uh, the transition I was part of. So if you had any apprehension, you never let us know it. Well, you guys did a good job. You came through it. And, and a lot of it was just because it was happening, I think. You know, it's uh, Dick was such a, a figure that it was hard to look past that for a while. Well, the, uh, from my perspective, the interesting thing about the transitions is they're it's not a plug and play. It takes the whole team to yeah. kind of to get it. And so we were um, blessed with a lot of senior people, senior superintendents like you that could help uh, things keep going as we got our legs under us. So every transition is, has, is defined by the people at the time, the skill sets at the time, and then how we need to support each other through that. So you were a big part of ours. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So there you have it, uh, straight from Jim's mouth, uh, the historical perspective on uh, his time with James Thompson and Kenny Thompson and the progression uh, of leaders and owners of the company of which Jim was one. He leaves, he leaves a big wake, and I think you hear that as you uh, heard about the um, projects and the people uh, that he interacted with and continues to do. So it's a real treat uh, to have spent time with Jim. I hope you enjoyed it as much uh, as I did. And uh, we'll look forward to the next one. Mm -hmm.